G'day and welcome to Grad Chat, your opportunity to find out about graduate research here at Queen's. My name is CJ the DJ and I am your host for this week's Grad Chat. Of course, a show like this could not happen without the support of the School of Graduate Studies and CFRC. So thank you very much to both of those. Now, if your mates miss the show at any time, you can download the podcast the next day on either iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify or Stitcher. So no excuse not to hear what our awesome students and postdoctoral fellows are doing. But today, I would like to introduce you to an international student of ours, Yi Yi He, who is doing a PhD in cultural studies under the supervision of Dr. Petra Fashinger. Welcome to Grad Chat, Yi Yi. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> now, Yi Yi was a little nervous coming on, but as I've told her, it's just a conversation. And the good thing is, she has listened to others, so she knows that's how this is going to happen. So, uh, everything's going to be good, isn't it, Yi Yi? Yes, great. <laughs> well, first of all, um, now you didn't do, you, sorry, I should say, you did your undergrad in China. So what made you want to come to Canada to do your graduate work? Actually, that was during like uh, my master, uh, when I did my master in China as well, I have an opportunity to, to come to Canada to explore a bit in the summertime. And I really, really like it, like the, the learning environment here and the natural environment here, it attracts me like still. So, so actually, that's a, a major reason that I really want to learn something new and I want to go back to my country and, and, and see whether I can find a teaching position back back in the universities there. So I, I need to get my doctoral degree and because I study English, so it would be best for me to, to have overseas learning experience as well. So right. like all, all those reasons, yeah. Very good reasons. And we're very lucky that you came here to Queen. So out of all the great universities that we do have here in Canada, and, and we're very lucky that we do have good universities. Why did you choose Queen's? Actually, it's my honor to be enrolled in at Queen's because I actually wrote to uh, my supervisor back then. And then I received a very kind note from her recommending me to apply to Queen's through cultural studies. Right. So that's like uh, how my journey and, and the story began. I, I'm really, really grateful for this opportunity. Been a bit difficult the last couple of years for our grad students uh, with, with the research, but I guess you've managed to get through it okay? Yes. <laughs> uh, it was kind of tough, like uh, for the transitional period, because I, I was kind of busy, especially in the first year as well, because like I have to take courses and, and then there are so many activities that I can explore around. Actually, I, uh, I joined many like the Exploration Horizon activities as well. So, so it, it, it has been very eye opening. So, right. like, uh, and, and with like uh, the new friends that I know here year so I got through that period um yeah quite well well. Well, well well done because it has been tough on everyone and I'm sure for you as well so well done for getting we're all getting through it which is really nice <laughs> slowly getting so back to some sort of form of normalcy but anyway so enough about that how about let's let's look at look at your research because like you said you're in cultural studies and cultural studies is one of those programs that 
have a lot of different departments coming in so you can do this sort of cross-disciplinary work which clearly works well for the research that you're looking at as well even though it's looking at English literature it's still um, an interesting concept what we're looking here so your research topic is echoing across borders contemporary environmental literature and eco-criticism in China and the Asian North American context Yes. Great topic. I did have to look up a few things. So what I'm going to first of all ask you, can you just give us a general overview of what you mean by that research? And then we'll get into some of those other questions, because there's some words in there that I want to ask you about to sort of help explain a few things to people. But we can do that after. So what's what's generally what are you trying to do? Actually, first of all, it's like the field that I'm working on is eco-criticism. And to put it succinctly, it means it's the study of literature and uh, the relationship between uh, literature and the physical environment. Actually, it's not my definition. It's, it's, uh, it's the definition that's given in our masterpiece, Ecocriticism Reader, Landmark in Literary Ecology, uh, edited by uh, Cheryl Glothelty and, and uh, Harold Fromm. They were like the founding figures of the film. And for my research, because uh, I come from China, and I'm so glad that I got this chance to introduce like uh, what's the most recent scholarship that's happening in China by the Chinese scholars to the Western Academy as well. Because as far as I know, my committee members, they, they, they're all very interested in, you know, what, what's there like across the border. Right. And because now I'm, I'm here in, in North America, especially in Canada. So, so I got, I was exposed to Canadian eco-criticism and American eco-criticism. And that's actually what I've, uh, what I've learned for so long. So I, I think it's a great idea that I, I, I would be able to to kind of act as like a, a cultural uh, ambassador to promote like the dialogue between the two sides. So if I've understood it correctly, you're looking at literature. Yes. Lit- Chinese, say the Chinese literature and North American literature and looking at what forms of environmental aspects are found in literature in those two areas. Is that correct? Yes. For eco-criticism or uh, literary ecology, what we mean is that we read these texts and we we try to analyze the biological elements or the environmental elements in these literary texts and and see how uh, humans interact with uh, the natural environment. Right. So, okay. So, you, can you give us an example of one from China and one from North America that shows that, you know, how humans interact with the environment have been shown in those sort of books that we mm-hmm. might read, where we may not even think about it when we're reading it at the time, but it's actually there. So, it's kind of like a little hidden message, perhaps. Yeah, thank you for your question. Actually, your question reminds me of a renowned scholar in in the field, uh, Scott Slavic. He has like this idea that actually all texts can be read, you know, through this eco-critical lens because we human society it's also closely interconnected with our natural environment. So so you can find so many environmental elements in any text. But then specifically, I, I would definitely like to talk a little bit more in detail. For instance, in the North American context, specifically, I work on the Chinese-Canadian text. 
and right. and like been writing about like a foraging article. So like、uh, there's like Ava Chin's eating wildly, and she depicts how she、uh, forage in you know the metropolitan city in New York, and how she find all those herbal、uh, nutrients from you know the,、uh, the urban city, which was imagined as the urban jungle. That's、right. what we what we feel mostly is, but actually it's not for these people. They have an a keen eye, so they can explore around and find so many good things around them, and and、um, make the best of it. And also, she kind of interweaves her own cultural background because those herbs sometimes they would be regarded as like weeds for right, for some right, white people,、right. but then for the marginalized groups, they are very nut nutritious. I, and I also want to share a little bit of anecdote. Sorry that I digress a lot. Oh no, no, go for it! I'm loving it. <laughs> go for it. <laughs> yeah, actually, so there's like environmental historians, Sandy Linden. She once narrates, for instance, in the California、uh, region, we have the mustard plants, and then they were kind of the nuisance for the local white people. But then Chinese people would see them as very raw spice. So、right. It's very valuable for them. Right. And、yeah. We should be learning from that rather than just thinking of them as a weed and pulling them out. Exactly. We're wasting good、uh, good food.、Mm-hmm. And and、uh, in the Chinese context, actually,、uh, there are so many texts. And then、uh, I particularly like one called the Liquid Tree. It's a poem collection by、uh, the Echo Poets in China called Hongdou, and like in that anthology, she she depicts many interesting ideas about how we can perceive the environment differently. For instance, she when she sees a tree, she sees like、uh, there's like this water inside the tree, and then so there's this life energy. Throwing、right. all around—it's not something that's like static. It's the movement. It's all about the flow of energy, and that、right. echoes like the Chinese ancient philosophy Taoism and all of that. So, so I really、uh, recommend that. But unfortunately, I think that has not been translated into English yet. I would like、right. to undertake, you know, this translation <laughs> project if like chance be. That would be a big project, but but worthwhile. I mean, it is interesting that. You know, Western society sometimes just brushes off things that surround us. We don't. We're not. Sometimes we're not very observant of our own surroundings, and clearly that can be picked up in some of the literature that you've been reading. I mean, one of the things I like about literature is that the author helps you visualize. What they're talking about, because they give a lot of description about what's around, even in a room. Now, what's in a room, or what's in a park? You know, there's a bush here, there's a tree there, there's a group of people playing over there, and so it helps you visualize what's there. Whereas, if we normally, if we're just walking around, sometimes we're so unobservant that we don't see anything. So, having these texts that help us visualize what is around and helps us. Realize how we are a part of this environment. I think is fabulous, and it's interesting what you said about, say,、um, Asians writing in English. That they're seeing things a little bit different, writing things a little bit differently because they observe things differently to, say,、um, a Western Western person, where we can still be descriptive, but perhaps not descriptive enough. 
What? Yeah, uh, exactly. Thank you for pointing this out. In my cross-cultural research, I also realized, for instance, Chinese people, uh, we have our own philosophy, like our own way of perceiving the world around us. And it's so different from the Western world, because I find in Western philosophy, it's it's very analytical. Uh-huh. And and like it trying to find out the, the logics or like the reason behind every phenomenon. But then for Chinese people, People, our mentality, like we we tend to think everything as like a holistic uh, being, right. and then and then we kind of think in a very abstract way. So so sometimes like I also find this cultural conflict like uh, between the two. So good good question. Cultural conflict. So you're looking at Chinese writers. You're looking at. Chinese writers here in North America, but when you're looking at Chinese writers here in North America, are they North American born with Chinese background, or are yes. they Chinese who have immigrated and so the so the North American born? Yes, uh, mostly like the second generation and third generation are North American authors. Right. So. So even with that, then you're saying that those who are in China and writing, those who are North American born but with the Chinese background, they're still doing this a little bit different. Their writing still a little bit different to say the Western writing. Oh, this is a very interesting question. I think different authors kind of differ from each other. For instance,、uh, like the the author I mentioned, Ava Ching, when she writes her foraging text. Actually, it has received criticism from from like the, the the readers that like she tried to cater to like the the white taste,、oh, and, okay. and she writes very American,、uh, right, right, in a very American way. But then actually, I I also、uh, bring in like、uh, another、uh, Chinese Canadian poet, Richter Wong's Forage, and it's not quite a comparison, but I try to bring in like the two texts together and and see how it. It goes, and and then、uh, you will see like Richter Wong's voice. It's more activist because she herself is a poet activist, and、right. and she's been like、uh, known for her dedication to the allyship between indigenous people and diasporic people, and and environmental justice, and all of that. So so I think it differs. But one thing is for sure: these authors, like with Chinese background in North America, they will they will encounter this question, like their identity issues.、Uh-huh. So, so like they 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 are always in in an ambivalent state because even、yeah. though they they were born here, but then when when they grew up, they would be exposed to like、uh, their home, the culture back home, like where their their ancestors were from. So. So、uh, it it could be like、um, a double edged sword. Because, yes, because they're、yeah. stuck in the middle. Which way? I mean, if they veer too much one way, you're going to potentially put off someone on another in another direction. Yeah.、Um, or even within their own community, you 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 you're too Chinese. You're too North American. So, <laughs> but that could be an、uh, an advantage as well. well So, why were multi-ethnic voices missing in American mainstream eco criticism in the 1990s? So, I guess you're looking at the 1990 period. Yes, exactly, because、uh, because that was when, like, the book that I mentioned, the eco criticism reader, uh, uh, 
uh, came to pub,、uh, publication, and then、right. and then the field got like、uh, systematically established. And but then like、um, actually we we have、uh, four ways of eco criticism according to the mainstream like ideas about you know how this field evolves. And and the first way starts from nineteen eighties. Uh, you can see there's a, a trend that most of the scholarly works by that time was、uh, were written by white、uh, scholars, and、right. they focus on the text that's written by white authors, and then they discuss it, you know, in the white context. <laughs> yes, and <laughs> and so so it's it's been very white. But then actually,、uh, Glothelty, like、uh, the founding figure, she mentioned like in her、uh, introduction to. To to that book, and, and and like she envisioned already, like、uh, more multi-ethnic voices will join later on, and、right. she was so right because then、uh, since the mid nineteen nineties, so there's like this trend, like the whole movement kind of moves towards environmental justice, eco criticism. It was influenced by the、uh, the social movement that that's going on at that time, and、right. and specifically, I want to mention an event that was like the Warren County. Demonstrations by the Black、uh, community in、uh, North Car- Carolina in that county, and they stood up and protested against like the pollution that has been dumped to their neighborhood. So that was like how everything got got heated. And, right.、Yeah. That's that's great. It's 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 interesting, and I imagine even in today, right? You know, with the twenty twenty twos, with everything that's been going on. In terms of、uh, climate change and and civil unrest and things like that, that that again, it'd be interesting to look at those books too, in comparison to what you've already looked at, and see if there's been a huge change in in philosophy or in topics and things like that. So,、uh, lots、Definitely. lots more that you can do there.、Mm-hmm. So. So, why do you think there is a lack of attention paid to ecological issues in Asian, Chinese, North American literature? Is it because they felt that they can't be seen to be going against the grain in North America, or you know, what, what's your opinion on that?、Um, I think many factors uh, have um, like uh, contribute to 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 the,、uh, the the so-called like the silence Chinese community in North America, and actually it's not just for、uh, for people with Chinese descent here. As we said earlier, multi-ethnic voices were were all missing from the beginning, from the、right. first wave. So we have、uh, people with African descent, with Latino descent. But interestingly enough, since like the the civil rights movement and also the second wave. Environmental justice, ecocriticism. So, so there were already like many voices of like the people of color, but then we still do not see that much of like uh, uh, you know Chinese voices、uh, coming、right. up. And and one thing I f- I find it's like it it might have to do with Chinese people's complicated contribution to North North American society as a whole, because we know that like Chinese immigrants they came to China during the gold rush and、right. and they came with like some、uh, material gains right they want to 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 earn money and to send back to their、uh, families back home and and because the racist、mm-hmm. policies at that time. They did not 
have that much of like choices to choose their own occupations. So they were forced to undertake, you know, those blue-collared、uh, labor work. And for instance, like building the Trans-Pacific Railroads,、mm-hmm. and and those, you know, definitely destruct the environment and indigenous land. And but they do not have the subjectivity or agency to go against the, the colonial decisions、right. made by the mainstream society at that time. But、uh, after all, I still feel like because these people, and, and not only like people with Chinese descent, but like Japanese descent,、uh, Filipino descent, all of that, they contributed a lot. To、mm-hmm. to the environment because they were the people who directly engaged with the environment at that time. They did the farm work, and for like、uh, people with Japanese descent, they were interned during the Second World War.、Right. But during their internment, they they built their own gardens. So these people, I think, like their environmental thinking, their environmental、um, uh, ideas, how they interact with the environment,、uh, these are very important narratives, yeah. Yeah. and and and, and they're missing written in the history, in the history、mm-hmm. books as well. Yeah, it's it, it's a really good point. I mean, it's inter- I remember there was time、uh, when I first emigrated to Australia, and、uh, there was a lot of. New immigrants there, myself of course being one, and、uh, we all had blank slates, so to speak. We had a piece of land, and we had a house built on it. And then those of us from Britain made a lovely rose garden, which is useless in in the harsh environment of Australia. And then there's if,、uh, our neighbours down the road. Their front garden wasn't roses; it was. Potatoes and corn and this and that, and because they made the use of every piece of space to be able to help provide for their family. <laughs> so, and I just go, wonder why they do that. And they'll be thinking, why would they put a rose bush in there? It's not going to last in this environment. <laughs> so between the two of us, there was this always this dialogue of, what should we do with this land? And 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 clearly at times、uh, the colonial parts were. We think of things to look pretty as opposed to being functional or or helpful for the environment. So it is a good point there. So、um, the culture exchange between、mm-hmm. China and the West has a long history, and you've mentioned some of that before. For instance, with immigrants coming across to sort of do all the the manual work, but it provided funds for them to send to the family. But at the end of the day, they're doing a lot of manual work, and a lot of a lot of、uh, the immigrants lost a lot of lives. But do you think is such an exchange reciprocal? Oh, thank you for this question. It was a good、um, question. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, actually, that's also like this question is incentive for me to conduct this research because in China, as a, a researcher from from China, I can see that like the Chinese scholars I know back home, they they were so they are so keen on you know exploring what's happening in the Western world. And、right. then when there's like some new publications coming out in the field, they would try to get it as soon as possible and read it. And like、uh, also the publishers in China, they will find you know、uh, good translators to 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 try to introduce these Western ideas into China as soon as we can. But then in in for instance in my committee, I can see that they are very interesting in Chinese eco criticism, but that there are were not that many resources around them that they can approach 
or like those ideas were not transmitted like in a um, you know timely manner because like so many of the, the the Chinese scholarly works have not been translated into English yet. So, but it's, but it's oh. interesting you say that though, Yi Yi, because you've just said the the scholars in China they hear about this new thing and they will grab it and get it translated.、Mm-hmm. But in the Western society, we hear about it, but we're lazy. We're waiting for someone else to translate it for us. <laughs> That's how I read that.、Um, If we really wanted to see it, we would find a way of getting it translated. Yes, yes. One thing is like I, I think it's definitely the language barrier because in China nowadays many people learn English, but then like I, I think in the Western world only like the scholars who are very interested、uh, or very dedicated to the、uh, Chinese studies they would learn、uh, Mandarin or Cantonese or <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, so so that's definitely one thing, and another thing is like、uh, I think the Western Academy as a whole, it's it's a very a hegemonic system itself, in a sense. Like,、um, so they are exposed to like the、uh, the Western narratives for so long, and they were so used to it, and then and then they might not be able to. To step out of their comfort zone,、right. and even though they have they have the interest, like you said, but but to step out of that, it takes、uh, a lot of efforts as well. So, okay, so I'm I'm gonna flip it another again. What about you know the scholars in China、um, have are more of them now starting to once they publish. An article, a book, a poem. Are more of them thinking about? I want to publish it in Mandarin or, or Cantonese. I'll I'll do that, but I'll also get it translated because I actually want the Western world to hear what I'm saying. Yes, exactly. Like、uh, Lu Shuyuan, a Chinese scholar, works on like the eco aesthetics and also、uh, eco criticism. He has like written a work talks about this famous e- ecological poet in China, Tao Yuanming, and and then he he also been able to to find a good translator to translate into English. And、right. got published in in the English、uh, world as well. So so that's that's something. Yeah. So there's, there's there's a couple of different ways it can all happen, and I think it's it, I think it's important because if we are interested in learning more about different cultures and things of how that can affect what we do, we've either got to go and figure out how to get it translated, or hope that more people will. In their natural tongue, will also get it translated into other languages, and not just English, other languages too. Because you know,、yes. uh, Spanish, French, you, you name it, it would be、exactly. really, really nice. So that would be good. That kind of wraps up a little bit of what we this question here is: is that you know why is it important to promote knowledge mobility between East and West?、Mm-hmm. Because otherwise, we're only getting one perspective on a particular topic. Is that what is that what you're thinking? No. Yes, this is my major goal of conducting my current research, especially in the field of eco criticism. Because in Chinese eco criticism, I can find it's deeply influenced by、uh, Chinese ancient philosophies as well, and also、right. because we we learn from the West. 
We try to borrow from the West a lot. So you can see this interesting, like combined research and also like confluence of thinking that's going on in the Chinese academy. So it's very rich itself. And and like um and because uh China is also situated in this like pre-modern, modern and post-modern historical context, so our uh, development it's very different from the Western context because Western academy has already been reflecting upon you know uh what's happening to us after the industrialization modernity, but then in China we are still developing. But then we are also influenced by the West, so you can see this like in kind of complicated、yes. uh, situation in China. So I think it's definitely important for the communication between the two, and because, like I said earlier, in China we we kind of have a more holistic thinking, and and that's very different from from the Western philosophy. And it could be an alternative thinking to the ecological degradation that that's happening globally nowadays.、Right. So, so definitely, there's a place for for China to 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 play its role, and we should be more active in in the international forum as well, and and try to engage more with the Western scholars, and then、uh, vice versa. Vice versa, like, it、yes. has to it has to have that reciprocity there. I think otherwise. It, it becomes awkward. The fact, just to wrap up what you've been talking about, the, you know, eco criticism within literature is going to be super, super important for us to see what's happened, what is currently happened, what could potentially happen. Be able to see that, and particularly from the eyes of, for instance, as you said, a Chinese person, whether they're in China or whether they're in North America, seeing it from their eyes is going to be fascinating. So I wish you the best of luck. With the rest of this this study, it's going to be fascinating. Thank you so much. I'm, I'm working on it. Yeah, <laughs> I know you're going to do a good job there, Yi Yi. I'm I'm convinced of it. So you've got some great information there. So good luck with it. And even all the authors, the authors that you talked about, you're sort of rattling them off there. Like, oh gosh, I can never remember the author of the last book I read. So. <laughs> So, so well done with all of that. Thank you so much for coming on the show. As as you know, I, I I really do like having our students come on and let me know what they're doing, and this has just been awesome. So good luck with it, and、uh, we'll see you next time. Yep, looking forward to it. Excellent, thank you. Thank you. So, so that's it, everyone. A another week of grad chat sadly comes to an end. Don't forget, you can download the show tomorrow from either iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or Stitcher. Just type in Grad Chat. Until next week, this is CJ the DJ signing off with a big hooray. Thank you for listening to this podcast produced at CFRC 101.9 FM at Queen's University, situated on the traditional territory of the Anishinaabe and Haudenosaunee peoples, and brought to you by the generous support of the Faculty of Engineering and Applied Science.